This is Infants on Thrones. The philosophies of men mingled with humans. We are the core. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Ostland, and today I am joined by resident infant film critic Bob Caswell and a listener named Doug, who I first met when he was a 14-year-old teacher in Bloomington, Indiana, and I was called as Doug's Teacher's Quorum Advisor. It's always a lot of fun to become reacquainted with people like that, uh, that I've met at different times of my life, meeting them again through the podcast. So Doug reached out to Bob and I a few weeks ago and asked us if we'd like to review the HBO documentary Believer. So that's what we're going to do. And if you appreciate the content that you're getting from Infants on Thrones, please come and support our work on Patreon for as little as $1 per episode, up to whatever monthly limit you decide. Now, being a Patreon supporter also gives you access to exclusive episodes not released to the general public. Thank you for those of you who are already supporting us on Patreon. And with no further ado, let's get right to today's episode. And, and Doug, did you want to lead this one? Or Bob, did you want to lead this one? Because I, I, I don't want to lead this <laughs> I love how you start recording and then you're like, wait, what are we doing? What are we doing? <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, How's this going to work? Uh, we want to talk about the movie Believer. That, that much we know. Just because I'm recording it right now doesn't mean I got to use it. This is true. <laughs> I do edit some things, Bob. <laughs> well, okay, good. Uh, I mean, I mini reviewed this on my other podcast, Practically Culture. And then, uh, Doug, you reached out and you said, hey, we should talk about this more. You said some things that were just kind of surface level. And uh, then I was like, sure, that sounds like a fun invitation. I'm, I'm game. And then now it's been like a week or two. And I'm like, wait, what did I say? Why is this interesting? <laughs> <laughs> well, you, I got the mini review version and I was all excited for, for you to, to break it down. But it was a mini review. So you appropriately just kept it short. Yeah. And, and you also were like, well, this really relates to me, you know, for personal reasons, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> I noticed on your Practically Culture uh, podcast, although you and Logan both have this Utah Mormon shared history, it like never comes up. I assume that's by agreement or something or you yeah. step it. But right. On the one hand where we're like, yeah, we're serious podcasters. We've moved past religion. But then on the other hand, it's like one tenth of one percent of the infants on thrones audience. So maybe we should stick to Mormonism and then more people would listen to it. I don't know. It, it might be bigger than that now. We we infants has, has considerably shrunk. Oh yeah? Eh. yeah. So we're bringing it back, baby. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. All the Jordan Peterson haters. <laughs> yeah, people did not like that discussion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but now we can talk about it uh, openly and with the full. I mean, we could have on that on that podcast as well, but we yeah for whatever reason don't. Oh, by the way, did you see what I'm wearing? Lo- oh yeah, I love loud. Okay, nice. You Sorry, got the shirt. I, oh, is that okay? I ordered this shirt right after we saw the documentary a couple weeks ago. Nice. I, I'm unplugged enough from the whole Mormon scene that I actually hadn't even heard of Love Loud until we saw this documentary on HBO Go. Yeah, I, I think I was similarly, um, I was in a similar position. I knew of some of it. I think I saw something on Facebook from Delin or something, but then the documentary really did a good job of like framing the the lead up to what to, to that event that Dan Reynolds was trying to put on. I guess before we start, though, we should we should decide... Really important question. Spoiler free. 
I mean, it is a documentary, but <laughs> what jump. could possibly be spoiled about? Did they or did they not no. hold the concert? No, Spoilers. there's a, there's a big one. There's a big one in the middle. There's like really? a little, yeah. Do you remember the left turn with the, his assistant that has an event happen and this whole thing? If you, if you haven't seen I it. I do remember that, but I wouldn't consider that a spoiler. Really? You, I feel like that event happening and having had heard it before watching the movie would be a very different experience than just watching it unfold. But my opinion is we should just go full, full on spoilers and it's no big deal, but I'm just throwing it out there in case anyone wants to beat me up. Maybe I'm a little, you know, post Jordan Peterson discussion, just wanting to say disclaimers or something. <laughs> if you're afraid of spoilers, stop listening now, listen to practically culture and then come back. Yeah. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah. And watch the dang show. You <laughs> ex Mormons. Well, I, I guess we should, before we go too far, we should probably give a brief overview of what Believer is about because yeah. not everyone has seen it and not everyone has HBO. So Believer is a new HBO documentary. It's by, or about, primarily about this Dan Reynolds guy who's the lead singer of Imagine Dragons, uh, which, by the way, they played a bunch of Imagine Dragons songs during the documentary. I hadn't realized how many big songs were that band. They, they don't all sound the same. They were, I was really surprised how many I knew because I'm not that up on new songs. Anyway, so it's about Dan Reynolds. He grew up in a Mormon family. He is Mormon, question mark. Let's discuss that in a little bit. <laughs> sure. Um, and he, uh, over the course of this documentary, kind of comes to terms with the idea that the Mormon church is really bad to gay people and that gay people in the Mormon church are struggling. And he decides that he needs to do something about it. And so he's going to hold this Love Loud festival in Utah to raise awareness about LGBTQ issues and suicide and make people feel included and safe. And then the kind of second half of the documentary is about how hard it is to put that together. And then the documentary ends with the, actually a lot of really good concert shots of the Love Loud Festival in Orem. Yeah, it's a good, it's a nice warm fuzzy, it, you know, spoiler alert, I guess we already revealed that is going to happen, but it, it ends positively and they're able to pull off this concert. And it's, it's a really empowering moment for a lot of people in Utah from what it, from what it appears to, I, I mean, here's the thing with documentaries as, as we like to say uh, on the other podcast, they're always very selective and showing you exactly what they want to show you. And there's like 10 times the footage than as compared to what's actually shown. But that notwithstanding, it seems like this was a super um, positive impact, really uh, eventful thing he did that really helped a lot of people. And so kudos, I mean, not to fast forward to the end, but that's, that's, uh, that's really cool that it, that it ended up that way. And then, <laughs> yeah, there's like this minor chord at the, right at the end, right? With the Alan H. Oaks talking about the family proclamation and Dan's like, Oh, well, maybe this didn't do anything at all. Love loud was everything we could have hoped for and more. It showed it's not just me as a Mormon who is antsy for change. The whole Mormon community came out in droves to say, this is a place within the church that is broken. How can we fix it? Leading up to Love Loud, uh, the church obviously reached out to me and we have been having kind of an open dialogue. Coming out of Love Loud, everybody was feeling positive momentum. I had been extremely excited for General Conference. 
And General Conference happens twice a year. It's where the apostles and the prophets speak uh, like on live television to the world and to all the Mormons. And I think a lot of Mormons, myself, were waiting to hear an apostle say, now let's start to do something to change this. Members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are blessed with unique doctrine and different ways of viewing the world. We've witnessed a rapid and increasing public acceptance of cohabitation without marriage and same-sex marriage. Elder Oaks talked about the Family Proclamation, which is basically an old piece that was put together from the church that was released about marriage between a man and a woman and these are the things that make up a good, healthy family. The Family Proclamation begins by declaring that marriage between a man and a woman is ordained of God and that the family is central to the Creator's plan for the eternal destiny of His children. It also affirms that gender is an essential characteristic of individual, premortal, mortal, and eternal identity and purpose. The church basically just doubled down on everything they've been pounding into my head and Mormon's heads for years, which is to be gay and act upon it is a sin. Marriage is between man and a woman. Popular culture, popular people will try to tell you otherwise. Every generation has its tests and its chance to stand and prove itself. I believe our attitude toward and use of the Family Proclamation is one of those tests for this generation. I pray for all Latter-day Saints to stand firm in that test. In light of Love Loud, that for me was a dark day. <laughs> to say the least. It's a dark week, a dark month. Yeah. And you know what's funny is that Dallin H. Oaks talk that, that he referenced, I, I did a parody of that same talk, so I actually knew it pretty well. And I'm like, oh, that talk. Yeah, I know that one. And I know my version of that one. And I might want to insert, you know, uh, well, or maybe ask Glenn to, because he's going to be way faster and better at it, uh, some of that, because that could be fun. As is evident in our family proclamation, Members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are blessed with unique doctrine and different ways of viewing the world. They are also blessed with blowhard leaders who use words like evident, unique, and different as an opening euphemism for complicated, outdated, and institutionalized homophobia. But, yeah, apparently Dallin H. Oaks did not like how much positive spin this event got and you know love each other but just remember asterisk this this mormon disclaimer we're still your leaders and we're still going to tell you what to do and don't let this get to your head nothing's changing <laughs> the end right. uh, <laughs> that's the end yeah oh, and then and then the the thing right at the end during the credits is love loud will happen every year until it's no longer necessary yeah and i uh, that's ambitious. I was very, <laughs> right. when I saw that, I was like, wow, really? I mean, that's, that's amazing. But I, I I'm not Are they doing one breath. this year. I haven't heard. I mean, I guess that's, that's what they said at the end of the documentary. I think it is. I think I saw that on the website when I ordered my t-shirt. Mm. Maybe I'll go. Um, 
Yeah, until until it's I, not necessary. So that means indefinitely until Dan Reynolds passes away. I was I was a little um, jealous. Isn't the right word, but I just thought, man, that would be cool if if they would have asked infants to do something for that. You know, because at the concert they had oh. <laughs> John DeLynn and Savannah and her mom, and you know, like some of these people that have been involved in this Mormon world, and I'm like. We could get the infants together and sing Disney songs. Look out! Look out! Pink homo kids on parade. Here they come. Our nation is crumbling. Boy Scouts, gay marriage, pink homo kids everywhere. Look out! Look out! They're passing the sacrament. Excrement, tolerance everywhere. Gay dad, gay mom, pink homo kids love them all. What should we do? What should we do? Write an official FU. I recall there was a time, a big argument of mine, was gay people when intertwined can't naturally multiply. But now we see just how it is, there's higher ways of getting kissed, we can't abide except in this, your tolerance gay loving minds. What a crime, chase them away, chase them away, I'm afraid, God charade, pink humble kids on parade. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got we're we're below the demarcation line, <laughs> Glenn. We're below the, We're in the terrestrial kingdom of like oh, oh. celebrities. See, I just I I just came into this from listening to that conversation from last <laughs> night about the demarcation line. So <laughs> a little demarcation to out, but okay. yeah, yeah. No, but I think it's a I think it's a good proxy. I feel like infants is just below the radar for like true blue Mormon celebrities. You get you get your Delins and and then you've got you've got it covered. Um, I don't care if it's a celebrity thing or not. I just thought it would be fun. And, uh, you know, like it, the, my, my, I, I had mixed feelings as I watched it, but sure. the, the, the well, overwhelming feeling was I, I'm glad that I've been on the right side of this issue and that I haven't been silent and that, that what we've done um, hasn't, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't know how much impact we've had or, or not, but at least, um, that we haven't pulled any punches on where we stand on this issue and how we feel about it. And, and I felt proud of that. How long have you been on the right side of this issue? Well, were, were we ever on the wrong side or we just, when did we address it first? I guess is the question. Cause I feel like we've, I mean, this issue is at least for me, but it was part of my faith crisis back as early as 2007, eight, although it wasn't in the top yeah three or four, but it was, you know, there's a long list of things that bother you about Mormonism and it's just hard to fit them all in the top spots. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard. It, it would be hard for me to, to find a specific moment for a, a turn, but like, I remember when I was first married and, um, you know, uh, we, we were talking about when we have kids, are we going to let them spend the night at other people's houses? Because, you know, what if they get molested? And oh, if, wow. what if, what if, um, you know, the, the world's getting wickeder and what if, um, our kids have friends with gay parents? Will we let them hang around with them? Oh, wow. So, so that would have been like 96, 97, something like that. But that's TBM Glenn, like all the way. That is, well, yeah, that, 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 that's earlier Glenn. So, so that, that's kind of the position I was coming from. Yeah. I, I think probably one of the most impactful things for me in, uh, making that that shift in that transition was uh, a Mormon expression interview that Zelfa did with her friend uh, Nate. Yeah, and I remember that. Yep. Like that was such a moving episode. Hearing him just so frankly and vulnerably um, 
expressing what, how hard it was for him to be a missionary. And, and at one point on his mission where he couldn't take it anymore, and he found a male prostitute. So eventually just one night my brain turned off and I just like in the middle of the night, I, oh, and you know, at this point I had also asked President Grant if I could go home because I was done. I was like, I need to go home. And he's like, Elder, the last thing you want to do is go home. And he wouldn't let me go home. Mm -hmm. So I think basically, you know, I wasn't thinking at the time, but as I look back on it, I was going to do whatever it took to get home. And I was going to do something to, to get sent home. Mm -hmm. So I, I woke up in the middle of the night and I looked up escort in the yellow pages and found the male escort and went and met him at a motel, rode my bike, snuck out. And, um, and I don't remember the sex. It was over in like two minutes. <laughs> like, and then he held me and we laid in bed together for, you know, like an hour and he was just really sweet. And I, to just to be in the arms of somebody strong with, you know, feel protected like that, um, being able to just like run my hands along his jawline or, you know, just snuggle up close to him. It was you know, I'll never forget it. It was so beautiful. And just touching skin to skin of another man. You know, this idea that would have creeped me out so hard earlier, I just, I, I cried inside for him. And I went, uh, yeah, I've been, I haven't, I haven't understood it until that point. And right. um, I don't know if, if Nate still listens. He, he's listened to Infants on Thrones in the past. And he's sent this little note saying, thank you guys for, for what you do. It's nice to hear straight white guys standing up uh, for us. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. yeah, that, that, that was probably at least from that point on that, that I've been on the right side of the issue. So I think my, um, my turning point on this issue was when I was in Bloomington, Glenn, and actually this person you might know, we won't use his name on a, on a podcast cause I'm not sure how much he wants this known, but uh, a, a guy who's a member of the church. Do you play piano? Um, uh, no, <laughs> no, okay. but I know who you're talking about. Okay, all right. Um, uh, so he he revealed to me that he was gay, and he was a return missionary, and he talked about how hard it had been to be a missionary and to be gay and to have crushes on people and to not act on them. And you know, he was, and I think still is, like an active member of the church, temple recommend holder, real true believer. He was a convert to the church when he was a teenager, and um that was a really important moment for me that I, you know, I was what, like 18 years old. Um, okay. Was, okay. Hang on. I'm going to push pause. <laughs> uh, so it, it was really important to me as this 18 year old to meet someone who um, was totally righteous and totally straight and narrow path and was gay and he wasn't acting on it and he wasn't, you know, breaking the law of chastity, but, he was gay and he explained it to me that to him, the idea of kissing a girl was as appealing as he assumed it was for me, the idea of kissing a boy. And that's a really simple idea, but it hadn't really registered to me. And, and you were 16 when this happened? No, I was like 18. Oh, okay. But like still, that's, that's great to be that, that young and pre-mission to, yeah. Right. And that was, a, that was an important moment. And, and I, you know, that was really basically the first, 
a person I talked to, well, I'm sure I talked to plenty of gay people before, and that was the first person I talked to knowing that they were gay and having them talk to me about it in a really open, vulnerable way. Um, and so that was like in 2000. Mm. Um, and so that was a long time before I started exiting from the church. Mm. Yeah, I feel like uh, I need to admit a little, a little bit more since you guys did. I was There was this period where I was like, pro civil union, you know, remember when that was popular, there was like this five year period in my life, which was for the most part before my faith crisis and maybe just into it where I thought I was like a super progressive Mormon. Cause I'm like, well, I don't necessarily have a problem with it. Maybe I don't like it, but like, why does it have to be called marriage? Let's just call it a civil union. And then they get all the same rights. And then we're all, you know, we're all on the same page and it's fair and everybody wins. And I thought that that was like some brilliant answer and then, I don't think you need to be that embarrassed about it. I mean, that was Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton's position in 2000. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess it, just, it feels like in 2018... Public position. It's, 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 <laughs> yeah, right. public position. Isn't it funny, though, how you look back just like a decade earlier and you're like, why did I care so much? Or was I just so... It, it makes you challenge your fundamental understanding of like the basic zeitgeist and how you approach the issues of the day if at any moment, 10 years later, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, I remember when... I thought I was being like independent and, and self-aware and making these huge decisions on my own, but I was just like really just part of this one crowd that ended up being not, not the best way to do it. Like, yeah, I remember that. And I'm like, am I doing that now? Who knows? But yeah. Could be. Could but be. I, I don't think that, is there any other hot button issue where public opinion has changed as fast as on gay marriage? I don't think so. I, think I don't think so either. Yeah, I think it is the big one of our generation, so to speak. I, th- I think of more than our generation. Yeah, yeah. Could be, yeah, like multiple generations. Yeah. Probably since, I mean, it's hard to define a time period, but yeah, I mean, over the last, what, 20, 30 years is when the most, uh, it, it's almost like the human condition version of moving from the camera to the digital camera, like from film to digital. It's kind of that kind of curve. Um, <laughs> right, um, but but because because it's it's such a, a drastic change, it completely fits the latter day narrative of sin becoming so accepted. Yeah, that's true. You know, the, the, I mean, that narrative existed before this change happened, and so uh, not to give believing Mormons a pass by any means, but it it fits the narrative, you know, so it's to be expected. And so you can kind of see at least why some of the, uh, the oaks of the world are doubling down on this issue and being like, no, look, we thought the second coming was going to happen around 2000, it, maybe 2015. Okay. Now maybe it's 2020. I don't, it's close. It's close. And, and <laughs> we're definitely in the last days. We're definitely getting there. Except I guess Packer in a, in a talk before he died said, no, you guys are going to have grandkids. Don't, just don't, don't use the millennium as an excuse to not date and get married. Go date and get married. But uh, yeah. yeah, anyway, so, so it, it, does, it does fit that narrative of sin increasing in the world. And so I can kind of see why the Mormon church would be so staunch on it. Um, sure. But man, I'm, I am just, again, I'm glad that I had the wherewithal to not go down that road. Well, and, and there's still some residual resistance left in, in an interesting way because you can just see how on each topic it takes time for 
society to catch up to the last one they fixed. Because it, it, at least to me, it's fascinating how whenever you hear like the gay marriage debate in the context of, you know, who a store can serve, then the next example is like, well, it's a slippery slope. What are you going to do if it's an interracial couple? And all of a sudden it's like, oh, not that. Well, I wouldn't want to be caught. Peterson for you now. No, I'm just saying, I I, I think this is a different context. I'm not making a point about what's right or wrong. I'm just saying. Just admit it. He's your new hero. I'm just just trying to bait the trolls. (laughs) I'm a Sam Harris fan. That's the irony, man. Like I'm I'm defending Peterson when I really don't need to or want to as much as anyway. But my point is in this context, that interracial marriage used to be like no problem to have a problem with that. And uh, now, like if you have a problem with that, you're kind of a weirdo. But if you have a problem with gay marriage, it's still, it's still kind of like, you know, there's that contingent or group of, at least in the U.S., I don't know if I can speak more broadly, where you're like, yeah, there's some people who, you know, it's against their principles or values. And, but you know that like 10 or 20 years from now, that, that gay marriage as it is today for that small group of people is going to be like interracial marriages today, which is like such a tiny, tiny sliver of anyone that cares about it. And yeah, so it's, it's just not quite as far along in the life cycle of people adjusting, but it's still pretty fast. So, so let me bring it back to this believer documentary then, Bob. I mean, it's, you make it sound like it's inevitable. Yeah. If it's inevitable, is this whole love loud festival kind of pointless? No, 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 not at all. When you say it's inevitable, you mean uh, gay marriage just being accepted to that degree where we're not even debating it as a as a thing that people still have a perspective on? Or what do you mean by yeah. inevitable? Yeah, the, you it, you make it sound like it it just is a fact that is going to happen twenty years from now that people who are still opposed to gay marriage will seem as backward as people who are against interracial marriage today. I think that's inevitable, but how that translates to what the Mormon church will do about it, I think is very different than how they reacted to black people in the priesthood or interracial marriage. I think they're really between, what's the phrase, between a rock and a hard place or whatever. Like Mormonism, this is a, this is a defining like live or die type of issue because if they loosen it up, it's going to dilute the meaning of eternal marriage even it doesn't further. have to. I don't, I, I don't Glenn, I know, I know you probably have solutions, but <laughs> Mike Tannehill, <laughs> I, 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 either direction they go, it's going to be super tricky because if they do the, if they do the, like, no, we're never going to adjust and, and temple marriage is never going to be, which is kind of the path they're on right now. I think it's going to continue to hurt them um, from a different angle uh, from, from the outside world it's going to become the new quirky, you know, it used to be like, Oh, Mormons were quirky because of this, this is going to be the new one, but it's going to be worse than quirky. But then if they do adjust, I think right away, like half of the congregations out there will just be like freaking out. At least half of core Mormons will, um, for as progressive as they are on this issue, as Dan sort of showed in the movie, I still think it's so fundamental to the core tenets of what the gospel is from a Mormon perspective that there's not, this type of adjustment that could fit. I don't in. know, Bob. I, I think, I think you're ignoring the resilience of the Mormon population when really, really important drastic changes happen as we recently saw with the integration of high priest and elder form. No, <laughs> so dramatic. You know, and drastic. Like, 
<laughs> I, I was I was there at the priesthood session watching this live as they announced it, and they were treating it like everybody calm down. <laughs> this is really going to be. It's all going to be okay. Every single talk, it's all going to be okay. Oh, and, gosh. And it, it has like people haven't left, so maybe. <laughs> I love so maybe when, that's the dumbest change in the world. <laughs> oh no, no, no. It was it it's was almost it was as big, big as when they lowered the missionary age. Yeah. By yeah. One that year. was that was that was really and good. temple gay marriage is just like five percent more than either of those stupid examples. Is that what you're yeah. trying to say? Maybe they're maybe they're just beta cat uh, tests, you know, that they're just <laughs> testing to see they're working up to it um, uh, so that they can maybe, make this change with the least amount of uh, attrition. I mean, I'm just gonna use that as shorthand, but I'm <laughs> temple gay marriage, but like, do you really temple think marriage. temple gay marriage comparatively, just any other change Mormonism has made in the last 20 years, I would say temple gay marriage, like dwarfs all of them combined. Yeah, definitely. It's, and yeah. it's way bigger than expanding the priesthood to blacks, right? Yeah. I think it'll happen way bigger than that. It's way bigger. Uh, yeah. I, I think it's as big as getting rid of polygamy. Right. And it's the solution, right? There's no, there's no middle ground. There's no civil union version. I mean, maybe there is to Pat, maybe there's some bridge bullshit that, that they do do that's somehow slightly more than nothing, but not as good as the rest of the world. But in the end, ultimately it's, it's temple gay marriage or go broke. Right? I, 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 no, I disagree with that. Not, I think there, I think there is a middle ground, right? Really? The ground, yeah. yeah. The middle ground is that they get married for time, but not for eternity. And then in the celestial <laughs> kingdom, they get fixed. Fixed? No, that's, that's horrible. That's just- I know fix- it's horrible. I agree it's horrible, <laughs> but I, I think that's the middle ground that they might settle on. But isn't it just, isn't it just p- kicking the can down the road? It's like, see, we're progressive. It's like, it's like the same polygamy thing. We don't believe in polygamy unless you look at the real doctrine and, if, and we still believe in it 100% because- You're proving oops. my point, Bob. You're proving yeah. my point. There's precedent for this. Ah, I see what you yeah, mean. and I, I, I actually think that the change from, from polygamy to no polygamy was a much bigger deal and a much bigger impact um, at the time and for the culture of the church. You know, there, there are sections of the Doctrine and Covenants dedicated to this topic of polygamy and how essential it is for salvation. You have to extrapolate a lot to, to get to the same place with why you deny uh, gays that the okay. opportunity to be okay. married, but let me but, shift my let me shift my tactics more. Then, but, but 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 hang on, because we gotten away from from Doug's initial question, and I wanted a chance to answer okay. it. If I, uh, I'll talk love about loud, if love loud was necessary or not. So go go ahead, you finish your thought, Bob. But then I want to get back to that one. I just want to say, temple gay time marriage. <laughs> I'm trying to think of, find an, a new acronym for this, but temporal temple gay marriage. That's not going to happen either. So if, if we want to shrink the scope and say that we're going to get to the polygamy solution, which I'm calling temple, te- temporal time gay marriage, um, how, well, okay, we can table it because I, Glenn, I've been cutting you off, but I, I still think then that's a whole different problem, but it's not any more likely to be solved in my opinion. Yeah. So, so the, the, the function of the Love Loud concert, as I see it, is a way for people who have already come to the conclusion that you should just love gay people and not oppose them. I I think it's a way for them to come together and find allies and for that community to grow more than it is a proselytization effort of getting people to change their minds in that direction. You know, so, so when, when you ask the question, Doug, if it's inevitable that everybody's going to come to this conclusion in 20 years or not, that do you really need to have this concert? I think even more so you do so that, that people that already feel this way can 
find each other, you know, not that they wouldn't in other ways. I, mean, I, I like that explanation. I, I think that's also more clearly articulated than anything I saw in Believer about why Love Loud was happening. Well, they didn't ask me. <laughs> it comes back to that, doesn't it? Yeah. Next, next time I talk to Tyler Meesom, I'll say, how involved were you in this? Because he has like a field producer credit on it. And why, why didn't you ask me? <laughs> now you're going to blame Tyler. Tyler, come on, man. Hook us up. Hey. Uh, Who do you think was the audience for the, for the movie or documentary, whatever we're calling it? Well, that's Imagine an interesting Dragon question. Fans. Mm, I think... Mormon? I think it, Imagine Dragon fans? I think it was carefully... I'm going to say a loaded term, but I don't, I don't know if this really happened, but I feel like it was focus grouped a bit. Like even if it was a focus group of a few, I think they were trying to appeal to a lot of different audiences. And so they had a lot of good editing that made it just edgy enough where Mormons feel like they're painting outside the lines just a little bit. Ooh, he said shit once, you know, I, I keep track of swear word usage and how many times. And, and then on the other side, um, it, it also helps to have a movie that's at the level of HBO production value. So I think it, it met that bar as well. I think it was very carefully crafted to, you know, serve multiple masters, as we like to say. <laughs> no, don't agree. No, I, I agree. I think that there were a lot of pieces that probably, it, it's not that they only made sense to members of the church, but they, there were a lot of pieces that I'm sure made a lot more sense to members yeah, of the church. But they but didn't detract. But then interspersed with that were moments where Dan would like look right at the camera and go, primary is where young children get together on Sundays and sing songs. <laughs> yeah. And I, I didn't take <laughs> meticulous notes, but I remember some of his explanations I had quibbles with. I'm like, well, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't use that word. It sounds like you're almost on the outside, Dan. <laughs> but uh, no, he did it. He did a fine job. But you're right that um, for some of the core stuff, he was quick to make sure that the outside audience knew what they needed to know. But then there were some kind of inside references that didn't bother the people on the outside because they didn't know what they were missing, but they made good banter for Mormons discussing this amongst themselves afterwards. So, I mean, kudos to like finding that sweet spot. I thought, I thought it did that really well. That's the positive spin. If you were to put it in a negative light, it would be like, there's a cynical part of me that's like, you know, just say what you really want to say. You don't have to please everyone. (laughs) (laughs) What what, what do you think HBO, how many Mormons do you think subscribe to HBO? (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Good question. Uh, I think it's going to get wider distribution than that eventually. It's going to go up on, well, I actually have no idea. I'm speculating, but I think if, um, if Dan wants it to have the impact that, that it could have, um, I don't know his arrangement with HBO, but it'd be great to throw it up on like a Hulu or a Netflix or something so that it's just even more out there. And, and there are some cross promotion type movie deals or, or documentary deals that sort of allow for that. So I would, I would hope to see that, or I think that that's what he would want ultimately. I, I, th- I think your question, Doug, about the audience would be interesting to ask to the, the, the producers of the movie, because I, I actually, you know, the more I think about it, the more I wonder if Dan Reynolds himself even really cared or like really even thought no, much about. He cared a lot. No, 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 lot no, 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 no. I mean, he cared. He cared about the, the topic and the issue and, and communicating, of, of course. But I mean, like crafting the message to a specific audience in mind. I mean, it, it seemed like a lot of times he was thinking of fellow Mormons. Um, but 
I, I don't know. I, I get the sense more that he just felt really, really driven that something needed to be done. And he had a, a voice, he had a platform and he was going to use that to the world, to whoever I, it was that, that would hear this thing and would watch this thing as a documentary. And, and so I don't know that it was particularly carefully crafted to any audience. Like Really? Yeah, I, I don't think so. I think, if I think I understand what you're saying, I think I disagree. Okay. Um, I think, and, and maybe I'm a dick for saying this because it's speculation, but I think Dan was, was right alongside the director on a lot of these edit decisions. I, I'd, I'd, I'd be very surprised if he was like, dude, film whatever, you put it together, I'm sure it'll be great. You know, I think he was not particularly that way. And they've got a lot of footage and he was, he was right there alongside. I mean, the movie is... I, but, but I don't, I don't think that, I don't think that's inconsistent with what I'm saying, Bob. Oh, is it not? I, I, okay. what, what's, what's the motivation for the edits that he's requesting from the director? That's the question. Is, is he making edits because he's trying to make something more palatable for a specific audience or just he wants this thing in, he doesn't want this thing in, he thinks that this expresses the point better or that, you know, I, I think it's a different question than trying to uh, direct a message to a specific audience. Um, so so are, are, there, are there things in the movie that would make you think that he was going to one audience more than another? I see what you're saying. I, I think I'm conflating two different questions because there's, there's the audience question specifically, but I also think that that's rooted in kind of an image question. Again, I'm, I'm flagging all these with cynical Bob or whatever, but mm. I think he has a persona that he wants to preserve in a particular way uh, as do most public people. And, and from that perspective, I think there's overlap between what audience it serves and how he wants to be portrayed in his in his in his um delivering of this message so i think they're different questions but there's a, a bit of overlap mm. did i just confuse the issue or did i help answer your question at all who, who do you think the audience is doug well i think i already said i i think that for the most part dan's talking to the camera suggests that the intended audience is a general audience right yeah but there are a lot of scenes that where the nuance kind of goes unremarked on that I think are are either Easter eggs for the Mormon audience or reveal that they are the true audience. But don't you feel sure like it is. don't you feel like ultimately and to their credit, they were trying to construct something that was highly palatable by the Mormon audience to be like, hey, look, you can be Mormon and adapt and you know grapple with this issue like I have and come out the other side and find a better way or, or whatever it is, I thought, I, I would say it, I, it's unclear to me, but I don't know that the one audience was more in mind than the other. I think he was, if I'm going to assign a number, I would give it just a straight up 50-50. Like he wanted the Mormons to love this as much as he wanted the outside world to be watching it. No? Yeah, probably. I don't know. When, when I hear questions uh, about the audience, um, I, I think about planning, you know, so, so when, when I would teach this as a creative or not a creative, a technical writing um, teacher, I, I would say, think of who's going to be reading this and write to them. 
you know, and, and so mm-hmm. you, you first have to think about who it is that, that is going to be reading this, what they need to know. And, and, I, and I didn't get the sense from watching this that it was really that clearly defined. So maybe it is a 50-50 general audience, but we also really want the Mormons to find this palatable. So we'll pull punches here. We'll do things like that. And you've got multiple audiences in mind. But, but the, the structure of the documentary didn't seem like it was really planned out. And I don't know how it could be in a situation like that. It's just like film all of this stuff and we'll pick some things to put in that tells the story of how this thing came about as much as possible. But there were times where I was watching the scene and go, okay, you're sitting on the couch with your daughter having a phone call and we're listening in. Why did this make the cut? What, what, why is this scene in here? okay, here's the scene where you're walking out of going to the bathroom and your wife's like, you're not keeping that in, are you? But he did. <laughs> right. why, why is that in there? You know, it's a, uh, it's a endearing moment. It's, a, you know, like, hey, yeah, all that stuff you guys is. kind of thing, you know. Um, but, but, you know, he, he, he meets Tyler Glenn at the, the park and they're just standing there talking. Singing love one like, another. Yeah, it didn't look like they really knew uh, had talked ahead of time about what they were going to do or what they were going to say. It's just like, let's talk and, and film it and see what happens. So, so from that sense, I don't feel like they were going into it with a specific audience in mind, but maybe, you know, in the edits or something, I don't know. No, but I, I think, uh, I mean, I, I don't, I have limited experience here. Maybe the other Tyler is somebody we can talk to about this uh, movie maker, Tyler. Um, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure a lot of those endearing moments, he has like 27 more of them that we didn't see. So he was like planning on having endearing moments. I I mean, again, I don't mean to sound so cynical, but um, I bet that there were like tons and tons of takes and they took the best ones and they wanted to show family life mixed with him making music mixed with I'm a normal guy. Mm -hmm. And, And they had this storyboard and it's like, Hey, we need this to be natural. So it's just awkward with when you plan it out like that. But do 10 takes of natural on this topic. And then, you know, in the end, they're going to have a lot of film to work with. And then they're going to be very specific about how to craft it so that it has maximum impact for both audiences. I mean, that, I don't think I'm contradicting anything you're saying, but I I just think it's um, a lot more deliberate than just like, dude, yeah, whatever, film me. I'm, this is how I always am. Like, well, (laughs) I maybe a little bit, but I I bet there's a lot of uh, selective through the movie production machine happening on happening here to get it just right but maybe that's neither here nor there i don't know i mean i guess we're in the weeds uh, a, a little bit yeah, i mean the reason i asked the question is because i thought that i really liked the movie yeah um, me too uh and i wondered if i liked it extra because of kind of where i sit uh in terms of you know being pro gay rights, but I know the Mormon community really well, so I can catch all those insiders. I mean, it, it's kind of like how I thought that the Book of Mormon musical was amazing and right. written especially for me. And yeah. I, I feel like my <laughs> tiny little sliver of a demographic was the target audience for it. And I, uh, that's probably just egotistical, but uh, I still felt that way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I felt that way too, but just to reiterate my other point i would say i i enjoyed the book of mormon musical a bit more because they didn't pull any punches and they just let loose where as a ex-mormon i could see i i feel like i could see a little bit between the scenes that um they the producers of this movie were holding back to make sure it was accessible to as broad an audience as possible 
Um, but if you like let Tyler Glenn loose a little bit, I bet there's more controversial stuff he might maybe said, or maybe there were F bombs here and there that were obviously completely taken out. I'm, I'm speculating again, but I feel like while the Book of Mormon music musical had no kind of restrictions on it based on applicability to, to two different, very different from each other communities, this movie clearly did. And so that indirectly rubs me the wrong way. Cause I want to be like, Oh man, just make it like free of that. It's, you know, don't worry about the Mormons being offended. Um, but, or just worry a little bit less about that. Um, is kind of what I'm, what I was thinking. And, and am I remembering right that there were times where Dan talked about his mom was going to watch this and how he wanted his mom to, to, to think when she saw this documentary? Not exactly. I think there was a part where he was talking about his wanting his mom or his mom didn't want him to go after his family in putting together this love loud festival. Right. Yeah. And something with his brother too. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so I, 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 mean, did, I, I think I actually have the quote, something like, you know, the, the, his mom asked him, don't, don't make us out to be like bigots. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I mean that, and that, that's a good audience question. So yeah, definitely like his family in the Mormon community, he didn't want to uh, turn anybody off. And so uh, you're probably right by because th- there, there was, um, here's the, here's the thing. I, I, if they were concerned so much about not turning off Mormons, I'm a little surprised that they included clips from Tyler Glenn's music video. Music video. Yeah, that's true. But I think they were selectively edited just to be just short enough to get the point across, but not, I, I don't think they showed temple symbols or I'm pretty sure it was still just on the safe side of like, this is what people do when they're ex Mormon on the deep end, but we're not going to show you the, you know, the real bad stuff from Tyler Glenn. He spit on a picture of Joseph Smith. Okay. Uh, Yeah. So they, they did, they did (laughs) show a a little bit, a little bit. Um, But but that was already out there. But that was also in the context of like, that's Tyler Glenn's problem. So it was very contextualized to like, we're just showing you. Yeah. That wasn't, that wasn't golden boy, Dan Reynolds. Right. Yeah, exactly. And there's, there's something that I feel like was missing from the second half, especially that I really wanted more details on that. I think they obfuscated on purpose. Um, and that is what exactly made it so that they had a difficult time pulling off this concert in Utah. Did you notice how everything was super obscure? I didn't think it would be so hard. It's like, yeah, but why is it hard? What are you talking right. about? And it's just like, yeah, we don't want to, we don't want to talk about, you know, which businesses didn't, you don't even have to get to like, too specific, but it was so vague and so abstract. They just wanted it to be playing both sides. Guys, it's hard to do a music festival on this theme in Utah. That's all you need to know. We don't want to like hurt Utah people's feelings by how much they were cock blocking us. Um, (laughs) So we're not going to say anything. They want to do the festival for the next 80 years. Right. Exactly. They want to alienate any venue owners. But you know, there's some shenanigans going on that would have been really interesting to understand and, and for the outside world to know how Utah is with their weird perspective on how those things would go down and approval processes and, and the Mormon church being involved in government more than it should be. There's like a million angles you could have gone with, but he just went with, yep. this was really hard. <laughs> Another possibility though, and, and this is, this is cynical Glenn putting his hat on. Okay. <laughs> is the, the reasons for it being so difficult might not have had anything to do with uh, the, the, the topic or, you know, it, it might've been like really legitimate uh, issues that 
it's better to obscure because then you can make it seem like, man, look at how, Ooh. how opposed Ooh, like they it. are to us. That's like a possibility it. too. And um, I do think that they made that move a little bit when they introduced John DeLynn and <laughs> talked about him being excommunicated, but didn't say a damn thing about Mormon stories <laughs> podcast that he's been doing. That was a little like, misleading. Like made yeah. it look like, oh, uh, this guy who's like uh, just eighth generation. What, did, what, what yeah, generation well, level was he that he said he loves the church and everything he said. So, and he, he has all of these great studies that he's done. He, you know, like this, all he did was a guy. TED talk. Yeah. All he did was a, a TED, TED talk, talk and then he gets excommunicated and like, yeah. Yeah, there's a little more to that story but mm. yeah yeah but it fits the narrative which is in contrast to the other uh, the story that i said would be a spoiler which is dan's assistant having a uh, a brother commit suicide mm. for having premarital sex at byu which i mean tangentially is related to the gay issue in utah but only sort of i mean it's a very powerful story and it really uh, don't get me wrong it affected me and it was it was useful in the context and I thought it was weaved in pretty, pretty well. But then yeah. there was a part of me that was like, don't go there, Bob. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, there was that part of me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I, I'm, I'm not sure if, um, if, if this is, if this should be part of this movie in this way, but it, it really affected me. So it, it was effective. Um, but it was, it was really so sad. I thought, I thought it did a very point. good job of illustrating the culture that you're dealing with, even in heterosexual, sexual, uh, sexual, sexual, pizza, pizza. Yeah. Um, uh, thanks <laughs> for saving me, Glenn. Thank yeah, you. And, and so, <laughs> and so um, how much worse is it when you've got the taboo of homosexuality Fair enough. in that yeah. culture? Yeah. yeah. One thing I did see in my brief internet sleuthing after I watched the documentary is that Dan has said in interviews that he, it's a little ambiguous, he either was at BYU and got kicked out or was accepted to BYU and then his acceptance was revoked when he admitted to having sex with his girlfriend. Oh, okay. I, I, thought, it was I thought it was interesting that that's already out there in the public, but it didn't make it into the documentary when it could have because it related both to the protagonist and to this topic. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, I hadn't heard that, but that that's puts it a slightly different, um, well, just fleshes it out more for me. Um, there's another thing, which is kind can, of a can, can I just on that point say his wife was so freaking cool. Okay. I was just going to go there. This is the she don't. Was cool. Is, she was She's cool. She's super cool. She's super cool. Um, are, is, are, can we do another don't go there topic? <laughs> I, I, the real question is, can we not go ahead? <laughs> yeah, go there. Go there. <laughs> um, so my own internet sleuthing and just kind of reading up on, on how this all came to be, um, the, the, the not nice way of saying it perhaps is while this documentary was being made over the course of, you know, six months to a year or whatever, leading up to the Love Loud concert, it was, there was a lot of focus on their relationship and their marriage. And it just so happened to be that it was filming um, the end of their marriage because they got divorced shortly after the movie came out. And see, this speaks to how documentaries work. You, you would think from everything that was shown selectively that they had the coolest marriage and everything was... was wow, great. yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, so how does that... I mean, it's a kind of a don't go there topic, but it's, it's a big enough thing. It's, it 
it just no. I think it's important because I I definitely came away from it like wow. I want to be best friends with them. I want to hang yeah, out. With yeah, them. they've got to figure it out. A couple crush on them. Let's go. Right. <laughs> and it turns out that they are splitting up or have yeah. Split. And of course, you know, in celebrity style, and and more power to them. I, I don't I don't need to or want to particularly know the particulars, but uh, they're not revealing any of that. Um, but it's just fascinating that this documentary showing their life together selectively is kind of incidentally the last year of their married oh, life. That, well, that, that hurts my heart now. Doesn't because, it? Yeah. Because they did, they, they did a very good job of, um, you know, like telling the story of how they got together and how important she was in his life. Um, and you know, the way he introduced her when she came out and yeah. sang on the stage and, you know, both crying and that embrace afterwards was just, yeah, that's, that's sad to me. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's too bad. I mean, and, and I don't really feel much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dead inside normally. <laughs> Usually I'm dead inside, but well, that really moves me. I mean, in, in their defense, if, if it needs to be said that way, I don't know, it seems like it was amicable and they're still going to co-parent and they're talking about it like they're still friends and it's all going to be fine. But you know, that's what you would say, even if it, wasn't fine and there were you know there's just a lot there that we don't know and it's we just leave it alone it's their life but it it does change the narrative quite a bit from what was shown on screen that's all that was I'll kill. that out then never <laughs> <laughs> no i feel stupid for saying that i thought she was cool but no that's no that was, that was the no, right takeaway no, that's like, i thought she was cool and bob's like yeah well here's the <laughs> well, thing there's the thing though before you go thinking she's all cool <laughs> all right so here, yeah. here's a question i i jotted down when i was watching it um at some point i think it's in the uh in the lead up to the festival dan says the way that our culture is failing is in a very unique way and this is in the context of the the suicides and you know lgbt youth feeling outcast in utah and i'm wondering if you think that's true the idea that Mormon culture, I think that's what he meant by our culture. Mormon culture is failing in a very unique way. I, I, I think that's wrong. And the, I think the, the word really unique good. is what you take issue with. Yes, very much. Okay. Yeah. I, I think that's really, um, self-centered. Um, mm-hmm. but I'm curious what you guys think. Uh, you mean specific to the, the gay issue or just generally just to put a finer point on it? Well, I don't remember if it's exactly right next to it, but it's in, it's in at around the same time when they show that chart of the suicides spiking in Utah recently, um, and they tell that really sad story about the I think Stockton was his name who yeah. took his own life. Mm-hmm. And no, I, the, the implication is that that Utah teenagers are killing themselves left and right, and that it's a failure of Mormon culture in a unique way. I I I can I can see the 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 pause the bristling at the uniqueness of it but i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna go for it here i i I think he's right because um you don't really have any churches that are quite what mormonism is you know i mean mormonism in itself uh creates a pretty unique culture um that claims you have a, a living prophet um, who's guided by Jesus and that you love everybody, even if you kind of don't really know how to do it. 
all that way, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think there is enough uniqueness um, that, you know, like, like the song that, that they sang that seemed pretty impromptu when, when he and Tyler Glenn were at that park and started singing Love One Another. That's kind of cool. It is. Love Loud Festival. Are you going to Love Loud? That's kind of cool. No, I'm going to Love Louder. No, I'm going to Love Louder. <laughs> As I have loved you, love one another, this new commandment, love one another, bye. disciples if ye have love one to another it's actually pretty yeah it is it's a really it's a it's a mormon in when you're a young mormon you're in a group called primary and it's like all the young kids like get together and they all have this rambunctious class where they learn about god and you learn like these songs together. Primary songs, yeah. Primary songs. Like children's hymns, yeah. basically. And one of the first ones you learn is Love One Another, which is a really rad. It's actually beautiful. Yeah, it's a beautiful song. And the whole point of it is about just love one another. And so. It's interesting that that gets lost in, you know, it's when it's really just such a simple idea totally. that we're taught super young in the church. Yeah, And then they're like, yeah, this is a really beautiful song. And, and it was almost like it kind of dawned on him for the first time. Well, this is saying love everyone. You know, I'm like, oh, he hasn't listened to infants on thrones. <laughs> As I have loved you, love almost everyone else. This new commandment, love except almost everyone else as long as they're worthy of your love and acceptance and kindness then you can love almost like Bringing it back to us. Chip on your shoulder there. But uh, but but so I I I do think it's a it's a unique culture and the failure to see that your own hypocrisy in in saying love one another and then not loving one another um, is is a unique failure to Mormonism that yeah I don't really take much issue with but I can't wait to hear what you have to say about it Doug. Well, you just. so it's because it was right next to a chart, I had to go look up some data. Oh, right? nice. And, and so if you look at the CDC, it, it is true that suicide mortality is just a huge problem in the United States, right? It's gone way up recently, but it has not gone up uniquely in Utah. Um, if you look at the CDC map of suicide prevalence, there's this big red cluster in the entire Mountain West. It's Montana, it's Idaho, it's South Dakota, it's Oklahoma, it's Alaska, it's New Mexico. Um, So, and Utah is definitely one of those. Utah is like in the top five, Um, but it's not uniquely Utah. And so I take Glenn's point that there's something unique about Utah and Mormon culture that is failing. The way that they're failing is unique. Because the culture is unique. I agree with that, but, but that... 
if all these other states that are not overwhelmingly Mormon are also having spikes, some even bigger spikes than Utah's spike in, in suicide, do we, why do we, why are we so certain that it's about Utah culture, the, the spike in Utah, or maybe it's a broader trend that actually affects all of the mountain West states. And, and can I ask, I mean, did, did, did that data that you look up reveal the cause of suicide or if it was even related to homosexuality I, at all? Or was it parsed out by I, teen versus adult? So, I, so then I looked up teen and okay. Utah has uh, the fifth highest rate of adolescent suicide death. Okay. So really bad, right? Really bad. But it's not the highest. Alaska is the highest, then Wyoming, then South Dakota, then Montana, then Utah. Uh, Utah's at 21.2%. Um, 21, that doesn't make sense. 21.2 and United States average is at 8.9. So it's a lot higher in Utah, but it's not uniquely high. Is it per thousand or something? Like it's some per baseline 100, yeah. per hundred thousand. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That'd be a lot if it was per thousand. <laughs> um, <laughs> so so uh, I guess, I guess that if you were really going to parse out this, that statement, you would have to look at the causes and, and I think the that's way that the different states study. are failing the demographics right. in well, Alaska and South Dakota and, and how does that compare with Utah? Is it a unique failure? In I know, <laughs> I know I'm, I'm, I'm sticking my foot in my mouth, but is this, is this maybe a subset of the whole, uh, Jordan Peterson, you know, ah! <laughs> <laughs> no, but there's this thing, you know, there's this thing that the, that there's this overlooked white male population that just isn't, you know, that isn't as privileged as we all assume they are. And they're usually the majority of, of these statistics that can, can you tell us Doug? So you're you're talking about the deaths of despair. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Mormonism can certainly contribute to that, but there's just this overwhelming, like, you know, they, a group of people who are supposedly privileged, but are really not in any place that, that fulfills what is expected of them. And Mormonism, you know, makes the problem even bigger, but I, I don't so, know. I, so here, I'm speculating. Here's, here's the way I would defend the unique culture failure statement. If I had to defend it. Okay. Is that I think there are these huge forces across the country that are leading to a big spike in suicides and LDS, the LDS church and Mormonism and, and faith should be a bulwark against that, but it clearly is not. And so, therefore, it's a failure of this faith system that should be and culture that should be protecting against this bigger trend. Right. Yeah. That that that's what I think too. Yeah. Totally. So I'm I'm not sure that I would say that Mormonism is necessarily causing the spike in suicide, but it's failing to present, failing to prevent it the way it should. And and Bob, just to give you a little bit of cover on your Jordan Peterson reference, I was thinking that too because I've been recently. And but but what I thought was more. You know, he, he usually will say something like um, people are quick to jump on a certain cause and say, that's the problem. It's that thing right there in isolation without looking at any other extenuating causal circumstances or possibilities. And so is it possible that it's maybe getting blown out of proportion? Someone like Jordan Peterson might ask that question, but I never would. <laughs> standard disclaimer <laughs> yeah I, well as long as we're on the topic of disclaimers i mean i do have to say i feel a little uncomfortable as a white heterosexual guy you know who lives in massachusetts where gay marriage has been legal for more than a decade 
uh, it makes me feel uncomfortable to be poo-pooing the the role that Mormonism is playing in in a suicide crisis in Utah because that's just not uh, a burden that I have had to bear. Okay, I mean, duly noted, but I, I think it was I think it was good to bring it up in the context of larger data and i don't think you said anything that discredits it being a problem so it's, it's still certainly <laughs> causing pain and suffering and needs to be addressed um i feel like i want to go back to one of the we're not supposed to go there topics um please <laughs> <laughs> here's the thing that scene where dan's assistant has his own brother commit suicide for having sex at byu it affected me more than anything else in the movie. And it really angered me. And I, I, th- I thought I was like past the Mormon anger side. And it's kind of ironic because you could say, well, Bob, you're, you, you know, why are you selectively only angered by heterosexual suicide? <laughs> no, because <laughs> that's the least charitable read on my own thing that I'm just admitting. But the, the rest of the movie was, was impactful and it, and it affected me too. But when I heard that this guy's brother committed suicide and BYU kicked him out for five years for doing something like so benign and just, I, I, I'm sorry, Glenn, if this is going to be an earmuffs moment for you, but I fucking hate BYU. And it just like, it came out in that moment and I just couldn't stand it. And then it made me also slightly annoyed that the movie wasn't either not about that and it was either needed to be left out and that was something that I wanted to just double click and have its own story arc for even more so um, or just not have had it be there and that's a weird way for me to critique like you know an editing choice but I just really was so angry at that situation and so distraught by it that it, that it, you know, I had to like pause the movie and just um, continue the rest of it after a few minutes of just taking a breather. Um, I don't know what that says about me, but I I feel like I may as well just put it out there that that's what happened rather than let it just float. Like I don't a, I don't understand why you're apologizing for that. Well, because there's a part of me that um, that is saying that I'm not sure, I guess what I'm apologizing for is the wrong way to approach that is to have a discussion of whether or not it was necessary to be in the movie. Cause I, I, I really wanted it to be, I wanted the, 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 the brother on the screen. I wanted him to express even more. And, and this is not fair. I'm projecting through him. He was, he was distraught. He was emotional. He was crying. He was everything that is natural for him to be how he is. And he was just way more charitable than I was in the moment. I, I was just like, fuck BYU, burn it to the ground. I hate everyone. <laughs> um, and I felt like in that moment, I was frustrated because I felt like the movie was only allowing for up to a certain level of anger. And it was still like couched in these terms of like, now you're on camera, so make sure you don't say anything too offensive. And that's not fair because I'm sure it was heartfelt and it was exactly how he, he was thinking about it. But I just felt like there's more to say there that can be um, really damaging to the church in a way and and to BYU as an institution that's necessary that they had a chance to do, but they were still kind of pulling back to make sure like this is just, let's just stick with this being 
a bad situation, but we don't want to like ruffle too many feathers by how bad we're going to point out it is. I don't know if I'm making sense, but I, no, I understand you, you, it, you were pissed at BYU and you wanted them to have more egg on their face than they had. And yeah, and yeah, they exactly. would put more egg on their face. Yeah. 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 And, I don't think, I don't think you need to apologize to that. Okay. Okay. For, I, for anything. All right. Uh, well, but I think it, it gets at attention that we've been kind of talking about from different angles this whole time about is Dan's project is the love loud is this documentary in general about, um, cultural acceptance and promoting community among Mormons in Utah and getting them kind of interpersonally to be nice to each other? Or is it about driving institutional change with the LDS church? And they are kind of at cross purposes, or if not cross purposes, they're definitely just different, very different things. And you see Dan himself kind of flipping back and forth between what his actual goal is. He says, so at some point pretty early on, like, well, my goal is not to educate or enlighten people because that's who am I? I'm just like a rock guy. I'm, I'm not going to educate. That sounds so condescending. Right. Um, he, it's just about, you know, love and inclusion and just every love is love. Right. But then at the end, he acts shocked that Dallin Oaks isn't like going to change church policy because he held a successful music festival. Right. Yeah, but, but, uh, you know, like, <laughs> as, as as somebody who understands um an inflated sense of self in the world um <laughs> you know that, that i think mormonism is a very fertile grounds for you know that that you are part of the chosen generation you have a purpose god put you here for a reason to make changes and i I don't, I don't know really anything about Dan Reynolds, but I can imagine that if I were in that situation and I started seeing all of this opposition that, you know, I'm trying to get this thing done and it's not getting done, but then at the last minute things come through and not only do they come through, but the, the church um, issues that uh, statement, that PR statement that endorses the festival and says, this is a good thing. I saw something on your phone, so yes, you better yes. read it. Okay. 10.30 p.m. Uh, 10.30 p.m. We're just about to go to bed, and it's August 14th. Yeah. So we're like a week out. Is that right? Yeah. No, I don't know. We're going to start school tomorrow. I don't know what day. What's the day? Like 10 days, 10 days. Anyway, we have the church's statement. Quote, we applaud the love... It's long, geez. (gasps) Quote, we applaud the Love Loud Festival... For LGBTQ youths, first of all, I've never heard the church say LGBTQ. It's always, they say same-sex attraction. I've never, this is, that's, I've never, ever heard them say that. Awesome. We applaud the Love Loud Festivals, the festival for LGBTQ youths aim to bring people together to address teen safety and to express respect and love for all of God's children. We join our voice with all who come together to foster a community of inclusion in which no one is mistreated because of who they are or what they believe <sighs> who they are <laughs> I know, that's big. we share common beliefs among them the pricelessness of our youth and the value of families we earnestly hope this festival and others other related efforts can build respectful communication better understanding and civility as we all learn from each other That's really great, babe. That's a step. 
awesome. That it would reinforce that, you know, narrative. Wow. I am having an impact. I am making changes. This is the church that says this. Wow. Um, this is a big deal. And so that then when Dallin Oaks comes up at the end and it's like all of that never happened, you're like, Oh, maybe I'm not going to change the church. Maybe it's yeah. just the, the hearts and minds of people and, and these other things. So, so in other um, words, he's like, he's like someone who's discovered the ex-Mormon forums for the first time yeah. <laughs> and gets all excited about the latest PR statement and thinks things are changing. And yeah. the rest of us who have seen the cycle a few more times know that it doesn't really mean anything when President yeah. room. Yeah, probably. And, policy. Yeah, and, and he's just like everybody that you all, I mean, you, you kind of always have a muddled sense of purpose about what you're doing and is it really for you or is it for somebody yeah. else or is it for this? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it's all those things and, and you see him coming out in different times and, you know, trying to be humble about it, but also feeling like, well, but I, I command a presence. I, I stand up on stage. People pay money to come and see me and to hear me sing and to, to do all this stuff. And so I'm going to use that for this message that I feel really strongly about that, you know, so I, yeah, I, I, I think probably he did entertain and I think you're right, Doug. He he mentioned it explicitly at, at times. Entertained institutional change as a result of what he was doing, um, but but to, to your question, I think it's more the former, the the hearts and minds of people that uh, he, he's really looking to change rather than the church. Maybe especially after that thing with Dallin Oaks, but I don't know. So uh, five years from now, active or not, Dan Reynolds. <laughs> um, I'm saying not. I, why? Why five? I mean that—that's like that's giving him a why. Yeah, <laughs> like, that, yeah. I mean, obviously not. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't clear to me that he's active now or has. I know, been right? Yeah. The last five to ten years. Well, that's true. Yeah, that's part of the the persona here on display. He's an active Mormon. Wink, wink. I mean, no, he's, he's a believer. He's a believer. Believer. Okay. No, he's not. I don't know what he's a believer in. Has he been on any podcasts or anything? Has he ever talked about himself? No, not, not like, like we would talk to. I mean, he's done like Ellen and like soundbite type no, stuff. But did, did, did Lynn have him on Mormon Stories at all? Um, good question. Um, of course, I listen to Mormon Stories uh, religiously. <laughs> yeah, right. right. <laughs> uh, yeah, great question. I, I don't know. Um, and we love you, Dan Reynolds. Whatever you want to be is fine. But it's still, you can understand if you're listening why we're <laughs> having fun kind of trying to pin you down because you certainly did not want to be in this documentary. Oh, I, I came away totally charmed by Dan Reynolds. So all the yeah. criticism of this is not, is not perfect. <laughs> Also, he did put himself out there by making a documentary about himself. So, absolutely, like, yeah, for sure, yeah. Who knows? Um, yeah, you know, and that's that's kind no, of the, we we love Dan Reynolds. Dan, invite us to the oh come on, cloud. stop Thrones, <laughs> Dan. What's wrong? Come on, what's wrong with us? Clint, we were so close to just we're being neutral, and then you just turn it into like, <laughs> how come you haven't been on our podcast? <laughs> yeah, I was kind of doing it tongue in cheek and kind of not. You know, it's like I one know, of those I things know. that I really do. I, I'd love to do that. Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, he'd be great. He'd be great to be. Um, he'd be great to be on our podcast. But no, no, no. I don't. I don't mean him coming on and doing the interview <laughs> that John Lim would do. I mean us us going and doing Love Loud, like having a little five minute doing one of our. Disney songs or something <laughs> in front of like, but he's like the real deal. We're like just a bunch of schmucks. The pre-show is just killing time. I see. I see. Pre, pre-show stuff at a concert is killing time. Okay. I'd kill time for him. 
Yeah. Okay. Let it be known for the record. <laughs> I do it. <laughs> it will kill time. There. There. I wouldn't even ask for very much. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I'd, I'd cut my normal hour right in half. <laughs> You're so generous. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, Glenn, Glenn, did you like the scenes where Dan was sitting in front of his Mac editing sound over? Yeah, and over I was going to ask that too. Actually. To that. Yeah, no, it's a cool, it was a cool office and, um, yeah, no, it, it, it was nice watching him, uh, do that stuff. I liked it. It looked yeah. fun. He, he uses better, better, uh, software Very than fancy stuff. I, yeah. Just doing like the free garage band stuff is what I use. He looked like he was doing pro tools or something, but right. Yeah. I think part of what I part, part of the issue here for me is like, I really like this movie and I'm, I'm so happy that it was put together and that it's put out there. And like any of my criticisms are sort of these weird at the margin, like, well, if it were my project, I would have tweaked the formula slightly this way. And then I might, you know, get slightly more impact in my head, like as if um, objectively I have anything to offer or to do better. But overall, I think it was effective for what he was trying to accomplish. So the question is, how much, at least for me personally, do I agree with with what I think were the goals versus how much do I think it was effective in accomplishing those goals. And, and largely I'm, I'm, you know, shocker and nobody cares probably, but I'm, I'm fine with the goals that I think he was going for. And I think he did a fine job and the movie's great. Um, that doesn't mean that I don't have opinions on how I do it differently and how I think it could be better. Glenn, in our pre-show chat, you were saying you had more mixed feelings about it. Elaborate on that. <laughs> there were times I was bored. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I, just, well, for I, just, just it was long. Yeah, that, I mean, but but that that uh, that's only because nothing. There was nothing really um, news or revelatory in this for me. I've been in this world, like I understand right. these issues, I, and most of the stories that they were covering, I was somewhat familiar with. Um, annoyed by with the selective John DeLynn stuff, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I wasn't really annoyed by the. Not John annoyed, I was, but just I was, like. Smirking, I, I, was, like, I was amused by amused. the omissions yeah. with that, but um, yeah. you know, like I was, I, I, I again, it just made me, um, it, it made me feel like, oh, I've I've been a small part of this movement, you know, that that they're highlighting, and you know, not that, not not that I feel like, oh, well, they should have interviewed infants on thrones or anything like that, but that not at all. You never stated that at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I never, I never, I never had any thoughts like that, but, but that, that, um, we have been, um, in the front lines of this movement in a public way, um, you know, re- regardless of what the impact is. Um, and, uh, I, I, I loved seeing the, the crowd at that concert that was there and just yeah. thinking that those, those are the type of people who do listen to us and yeah that that influence what we do as much as we influence what they do and you know feeling like allies in this cause and um i i even the stockton um story i i i think they're in arizona i I think that's a i think that's a family that um is friends of a friend you know kind of thing so that so they're like those those connections as well Mm. 
you know, so, so that, that's kind of the mixed feelings, Doug. And, um, yeah, I, I, th- there were times where I, I wished that things were a little bit more compelling, um, from a novelty standpoint, it just wasn't, but <laughs> that, yeah. that's just because I'm familiar with it. Hmm. So, so when Dan is accepting his, uh, Trevor project award, he's talking by the is Trevor project. Is that like a Utah Mormon thing? Oh, I, I wish I was good enough of a person to know. Anyway, he, the way he was talking to the audience, it kind of sounded like they were all up to date on Mormon lingo. But yeah. uh, so he's accepting this Trevor Project Award and he says, you know, I knocked a bunch of doors when I was a missionary and I, I wish I could re-knock those doors and tell yeah. them I was wrong. Yeah. And I was wondering, I was thinking about you guys, you two who do this podcast mm. and wondering if you have felt the same way and if this podcast is your version of re-knocking on doors or if you would frame it in a totally different way? Oh, um, I mean, I, I think that's an interesting framing, but it would be stealing it if I were to say, oh yeah, me too. Um, I, I mean, I've often referred to podcasting as cheap therapy. I, I think I'm, I'm maybe a little more selfish. Um, I do feel bad about some of the positions I've held and some of the beliefs I've you know, professed or, or proselytized or what's the right word. Um, but I'm also kind of a pragmatist and I'm like, well, I was in a different place and I don't, I don't know that I did anything so severely negligent as a 19 year old that I, that I carry it with me at this point. I mean, there is some residual, yeah, I, I didn't have life figured out and I acted like I did and I, and I feel kind of embarrassed by it, but, um, yeah, I, I got what he was saying, but it was it was a little much, at least for for me to embrace that as a as the thing that I would, you know, claim as the reason for podcasting. I should not have let gone, Bob gone first on that one uh, <laughs> because I have totally felt that way, and, and especially especially in in the earlier days with when I was doing this with Mormon Expression, and I, I was. I was learning some of this, you know, like there, there were, there, there were episodes of Mormon expression that, that, you know, John Larson just introduced me to things that I didn't know anything about, you know, like I, I didn't really know about the 14 fundamentals of following the prophet. Um, I didn't really understand DNC 132 until we were doing that episode. And I'm like, Holy shit is talking about 10 virgins in here. That's really in here. What? (laughs) So so there, there were times when, um, when I was learning these these novel things and having a shift and then saying like, well, I'm, I want to, I want to take a stand then on what this means to me. And I, I did feel like, um, you know, I, I spent this time as a missionary doing this one mes- message and, you know, it's not really like I'm doing anything that's helping the Japanese people per se. And I don't want to go back and reconvert the people that, you know, I was converted, you know, like I, one, one guy in particular that I interviewed for, for Mormon expression. Yeah. I remember remember that one, you know, and he's, he's, he, we still stay in touch. You know, I love that guy. And he's, he's, I don't know if he's Bishop or if he's in the Bishop Rick, I think he's Bishop. And, um, the, the church has had a tremendously positive impact on his life, even though it's also had a toll, but he's happier. He's happy with it. So I wouldn't want to reconvert him, but I, but I did want to um, be more vocal about um, 
<laughs> you know, e- even the, the the one that I did like uh, a month or so ago with those two guys that I do the other podcast with that I get the the, the Steady Trade podcast mm-hmm. uh, about the missionary discussions. I thought, yeah, I, I can talk about exposing. Uh, but I and, and the, to be honest, even even in my first area, so I hadn't been in Japan on my mission for more than two months. And I, I had that missionary companion. You may remember the streaking samurai yeah. who I've never revealed. <laughs> Greg Venema, <laughs> who is a uh, BYU-Idaho uh, professor of religion. Um, who, who um, he and I were, were talking about, yeah, when, when we get home off of our missions and we stand up at the pulpit um, we're going to tell them how missions really are. You know, we're, we're going to tell them how, you know, like th- this, this is what really goes on. And it's not all, all of these, you know, lofty spiritual stories that you hear, but it's hard and there's uh, disobedience and, the, you know, th- th- things like that. So, so even, even then I was kind of thinking, yeah, I, n- I need to set the record straight on what's actually going on in the mission field. So I, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> What about what about you, Doug? I I have I have no desire to revisit my mission or to proselytize uh, ever again. Uh, those were two very hard years for me. Mm-hmm. I, I have a you know it's been more than fifteen years, um, and I have this recurring dream about waking up and I'm on the mission. Yeah, but I'm not on the mission as a twenty-one year old. Right. I'm on the mission now. Yeah, and like I'm married and have a job and kids, and yet I have volunteered. And I I'm, I never dream the part where I volunteer. I just dream the part where like I'm there in Denmark. Mm-hmm. I wake mm-hmm. up like, what am I doing here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yet in my dream, I never stand up and I'm like, okay, well, I'm I'm obviously going home to my family and my life. Instead, I'm like, okay, how am I going to make the best of this? Let's right. <laughs> no, I've had that dream. Not Denmark. But <laughs> yeah. Wow. It, it's been it's been it's been many years since I've had that dream, but it was a recurring dream. Kind of like, oh crap! I forgot that I'm obligated to finish this thing. Right. 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 It, yeah. <laughs> or, or, or I'm the, okay. Let's see. So I don't believe in any of this. <laughs> so what am I going to say when I knock on this door? Hmm. <laughs> or, what, or what, what do I think the consequence would be if I didn't follow the white handbook? I kind of want them to send me home. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I have no, I have no desire to proselytize. Um, the part that resonated with me when you talked about his motivation was not so much that one where he says, I want to re-knock the doors. But there's a part earlier on where he says, look, I, this is happening. I, everyone knows that I'm Mormon. If I stay silent, then I'm standing up for bigotry. Yeah, I, have to, I have to do something. I can't, I can't just stay quiet. And that really resonated with me um, because when I was earlier on trying to figure out what I was going to do, kind of after I had lost faith in, in the literal truth of any of this, I was playing for a while, like I think a lot of people do, with the idea of just kind of, going and being the silent non-believer in the back pew and uh, just going there to support my family. And uh, I, it, I wasn't able to do it for that long because I felt like that was just kind of untenable. I, here I was sitting in the back pew and people would look at me and assume that I agreed with everything that was being said, or even if I didn't agree with everything that was being said, oh, well, he's, he's a smart guy. He must have figured out how this was all how this all fits together. So I don't even need to worry about it. And that, that thought just kind of weighed on my conscience and I, I couldn't stay active for that reason. And then and this is actually a, a development since we talked, I don't know, four years ago or whenever it was yeah. my episode, 
um, I ended up resigning from the church, which I thought I would never do. Mm. Um, and I resigned, you know, a, a week or two after the, the infamous policy, policy came out. Mm. High five. I, I'm with you. That's <laughs> when I resigned too. <laughs> yeah. And then I, you know, I wrote up the letter and I specifically said to whoever reads it, you know, some clerk in Salt Lake city, like it was this because you, of this you, reason you forced me to do this. I yeah. wasn't going to do this. Yeah. I can't be a member of this organization as long as you're doing this, I'm out. And I sent a copy to all my family members or my immediate family members. And whereas my plan before that had been to just kind of be quiet, but like uh, Dan said, you know, if, if I don't say something then I'm effectively standing up for bigotry. All right. As you were saying that I thought of a really, really shitty question, but I've got to ask it. Go for it. Um, how much of Dan's motivation for doing this was possibly um, to, to get credibility in his industry where people think of Mormons as bigots because of this issue. And they think, how in the world can you still be a Mormon? How in the world can you still be a Mormon? Hey, how you doing, man? Good, man. Man, I don't even know where to start. Um... Really, I, I I feel like I should have made this call like two years ago. I don't know who who else you could relate to, how many other people you could relate to in this industry that are like Mormon and, and have to feel conflicted about all these things. And I, and I don't know, I just feel Dude, like... That, uh, that really means a lot. Thank you. But the question I want to ask you is what now? Like, what can I do? I to, to What can like... I, you know, I had like this little idea in my head and tell me if it's stupid. What if... Me and you got together and we put on like a big event in Salt Lake City. Me, you, some people can come together and be like inclusive of everybody and tell them all like this needs to change. You know, I know we can't force the church to change it, but maybe we can like by raising more awareness and making more Mormons in their heart feel like this isn't right. Maybe that's the, you know what I mean? Maybe that's what's going to start that's the change. That's what it takes, man. Dude, I'm down. Like, absolutely. Let's do it. And so he does something like this so he can say, hey, look, I'm standing up and I'm saying this is. Do, do you think that had any motivation at all? And, and if so, is that even the shitty motivation or not? Maybe it's not. Maybe, maybe I'm being uh, cynical about it. I. Yeah, I, I know what you're going for, and I think it's broader than that. I, I, I don't I, you know, I, I really don't know his belief system, but I'll take him at his word that he's trying to reconcile being a believing active Mormon with, you know, this life he has. And insofar as that's his position and he's trying to reconcile those two worlds. Um, yeah. I mean, this only helps that because he know because, because he's in the world enough to know that he's on the wrong side of history in terms of what his, and he's got a huge spotlight on himself and, and in terms of what his uh, the organization he's a member of subscribes to. So, I mean, it's just whether or not that's a primary motivation or if it's just a side benefit or if it's just like a footnote as part of just this larger reconciliation that, he, that he's having with himself. Um, I don't know if I answered your question or just obfuscated it more. but So I'm, I'm not sure if I agree with that. I think if uh, respect in his industry was his top concern or in his top few concerns, wouldn't it be easier to leave the church than to try to do this? Yeah, that's, that's a this fair point. A lot, this was a lot of work. 
and then but, and then pushing back on you, Bob. You know, you you were talking about him trying to reconcile being an active believing member, and I I just want to push back on that in particular. It's not. It was not clear to me from the documentary that he actually is or holds himself out to be an active believing member. I think he was really coy about that. Mm-hmm. He talks about how he's part of this community. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I don't know. I, yeah, sort I mean, of. He, the... he refers to like when he became, I'm trying, I, I got the quote somewhere in there, but he, he talks about how, you know, he became a rock star and he was completely shocking to be thrust into the world. I had to relearn everything I had ever known. And, you know, sure. Yeah. I, but I, I feel that, that could I feel... be taken a lot of ways, but one, one thing that would be consistent with that would be, Oh, and that's when I, kind of formed a new belief system and that's when i experimented with the the carnal delights of the world maybe i feel like you're giving him a lot of credit that i i think it's more simplistic because it's almost as if you're saying doug that like he's already kind of secretly post-mormon or or um what, what was it what, what's the what's the secret one that people do not secret but um Gosh, I'm too far away from this stuff. There's a term for Mormons who still go, but don't want people to know that they don't believe. Jack Mormon? Not Jack Mormon. Um, I'll find it. But anyway, he's... Nom. Uh, Nom. Nom. Thank you. Nom. Yeah. New Order Mormon. Yeah. New Order Mormon. So... Is that even still around? Well, as a philosophy, I'm just using it, but I don't know if it's around that It's much. dated. You're showing yeah. your age, Bob. Uh, gosh, New Order Mormons is so like early 2000s ex-Mormons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like newer than that. It's like 2012 ex-Mormons. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I, so what I'm trying to say is I, I think it's a little more simplistic. I feel like my read on the situation is that he's in the, he's in the stay LDS John DeLynn mode of five years ago or whatever. Um, and I feel like we all go through this phase and it's just a question of how extended or long the phase is. And that documentary was made over that time of the, like, I wouldn't put him past, I wouldn't put it past him to be completely out of the church by now secretly or just not below the radar a little bit. And it's just not a thing as, as, as far as his career is concerned. And we just don't know about it. Or he's kind of trying to figure out his exit strategy. Cause we were just joking earlier how it's like, yeah, there's no chance in hell it's going to last five years, let alone two or three. Um, so Anyway, my read on the situation is that we we caught the documentary showing him in his stay LDS zone that we've all been through, that you were just describing yourself, Doug, rather than him trying to secretly make himself look like he's a community member but not a believer or or literal this or that. I think he was I think he was yeah. I don't know if that answers your question, but that's what I'm going with. Yeah. And we're done. No. <laughs> it's always weird when you're kind of like, you know, speculating and talking about a person without them. The whole public figure thing, sometimes I wonder, like, where's the line? Are you, is it cool, Dan Reynolds, that we can just be like, and uh, he must believe this or maybe that? I don't know. Um, but uh, I, I'm, I'm normally uncomfortable with it. But when you put out a documentary about yourself that's called Believer... I think that the question of your belief status is, is open game. It's, it's up for discussion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, 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 that would, that would have been nice to have had that as part of the documentary, I guess. 
But again, if he's serving the widest audience, I mean, he did a good job of making it seem like he could be both transcending Mormonism and still part of it, right? So Yeah, so maybe that, that goes back to Doug's earlier question about audience and the, the omission is uh, uh, specifically done for with a certain audience in mind. Because if he said what he really believed, he'd be turning off people that he wants to not turn off. Yeah, and, you know, people often make assumptions that are charitable to themselves, right? So I watch this and I'm like, oh, well, obviously, I mean, he seems like a good guy. So he, he clearly probably doesn't believe this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas Mormons are like, uh-huh. look at this. We're, we can be in the world. You know, Mormons are probably doing the exact same thing as you, Doug. <laughs> right. He's such a good example of, you know, who we are as a people. If only people knew more like us. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. So uh, you guys good with a four out of five all around? Because that's what matters is the number. <laughs> Just, oh, is that what you rated it? It wasn't a 3.5? No, it was a solid four. So, yeah. so this means that you would recommend it. I others. would recommend it, yeah. Right. That means any caveats I have are minor, and uh, it's, it's a solid recommend from Bob. You should, everyone should go out and see it. Yeah, definitely. I, I would also give it a four. The funny thing is I actually I – I've heard you do this before on your podcast, Bob. I would, I would knock it down a slight peg for some – actually, for the listeners to the – infants on thrones podcast i think a lot of them are likely to have the same reaction that glenn did that this is kind of covering well-trod territory Mm. Mm -hmm. um but for almost everyone else yeah i'd give it a four out of five right so don't be surprised as the next mormon if you're like yeah i knew that been there right Right. (laughs) yeah and 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 i give it a full rainbow flag a full one oh (laughs) look at you rainbow flag you i like your your system it's just whatever it needs to be in the moment (laughs) it's beautiful hi this is sam from wilmer minnesota on weekdays i prosecute criminals for crimes like domestic abuse production of methamphetamine and sexual assault on sundays i learn about the things that are truly evil in this world like gay people getting married consumption of coffee and bare shoulders You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, you can give the Korma five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Infants on Thrones.